Well, welcome, Vale Church. Good morning. And once again, Happy New Year. It's good to see you guys. Hey, my name is Corey. I've got the privilege of serving on staff here as one of the pastors, part of the teaching team. It is good to be kicking off the new year with you guys. If you are here in the room, it is good to see your faces in person. Would you also help me welcome those who are joining us online? Yeah, we've got a good crew, Florida, Indiana, Missouri, Nebraska, Oklahoma, all over Illinois, all over the rest of the country. It is good to have everybody with us. Hey, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open to Acts chapter 8, because that's where we're going to be spending our time today, and we'll get there in a few moments. So growing up, I had a basketball hoop on our back patio, which was great. It was one of those hoops that you could adjust from 10 foot all the way down to 6 foot, which is awesome when you are a pudgy kid who can't jump, okay? So, man, it was great. And I would spend hours out there, either with the neighborhood kids or me and my dad playing around or even just me going out and shooting some hoops. It was great. Now, surrounding our patio on two sides, we had these bushes that were about three feet tall, which was a good thing on the rare occasion that I would brick a shot and it would start going off towards the yard, okay? So I've got my basketball court, and at one point, I also had a trampoline. It was one of those small ones that you can easily kind of move around, and I got to tell you guys, that trampoline turned me into Michael Jordan on my court, Man, with that trampoline, nobody owned that six-foot goal like I did, okay? So I've got my hoop. I've got my trampoline. And because I'm an eight-year-old boy, I've got an awesome idea. I'm going to use my trampoline to air Jordan it over the bushes, okay? That's right. That's right. It's great, okay? So here's something you need to know. My mom had told me several times to stay out of the bushes. Not because they were anything special or expensive or, or anything like that. She just knew that if I got into the bushes, I'd get all scratched up and, and, and I'm kind of a whiner when it comes to pain, okay? Now in my defense, it's always good when you start like that. In my defense, I was being obedient to my mom because I wasn't even going to touch the bushes as I jumped over them, dunked, and landed safely on the other side. So it's time to put my plan into action. I positioned the trampoline in the perfect spot. I back up so that I can get a running start, and it was beautiful. I hit the trampoline in the perfect spot, just short of the center, so that it shot me forward with the speed and the trajectory and the acceleration that I needed to accomplish my endeavor. Man, I am sore, and I am high with the birds. It is going awesome. But then the jet stream changed, or the barometric pressure dropped, or these bushes somehow created more gravity around them. Whatever it was, something happened, and I quickly find myself in the middle of the bushes, and I'm stuck, and I'm needing help from my mom, who had told me time and time again to stay out of said bushes. Now, I'll tell you guys that story just to simply state the fact that obedience is a tough thing to carry out. No matter who you are, no matter how old you are, obedience is a tough thing, especially when there are so many things that tempt us to go the other way or, or distract us from our desire to be obedient. And I think that we all have experienced this in some way. We, we've all tried to be obedient when something came up that challenged that desire to be obedient. 
I mean, I was being obedient to my mom telling me to stay out of the bushes until the one time where I thought it would be okay to do my own thing. I think we've all had moments like this. We, we stay obedient to the rules of the road until we're late and we got to get somewhere fast. Or we stay obedient as long as it continues to benefit us. Or, or as long as, as we can continue doing things that we want to do. Or we stay obedient until it just gets too hard. Or we stay obedient until we realize that everyone around us is doing the other thing. I mean, obedience is hard, and it is no different when it comes to our relationship with God. Today, we're going to be looking at the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch found in Acts chapter 8, and this is an incredible story that is full of encouragement and full of proof of what can happen when we are obedient to what God asks us to do. And the reason I want to look at this, this story to kick off the new year is because I'm sure that we've all got some ideas or we've got some plans on how to better or how to improve ourselves this next year. I mean, that's what New Year's is all about, right? Where, where are my New Year's resolution makers out there? Where are you at? If you're online and you're a New Year's resolution maker, type that in the chat. I'm here, you know? So we, we, we make these resolutions because we want to try and improve something about our lives. Now, hopefully, you've had some success over the years years and at least some of your resolutions. Hopefully that's something that you've experienced, but in reality, most of us have probably experienced more failure when it comes to a lot of our resolutions. And the reason for this, it's not because we're, we're bad people. It's not because we don't mean the resolutions that we make. No, the, the reason is because resolutions, when they take discipline and they take obedience, and historically, those are two things that are hard for us as humans to follow through with all of the time. So whenever a person is faced with the decision to act or to respond out of obedience to a set of rules or expectations or guidelines, usually there's some kind of inner turmoil. There's some kind of deliberation that happens, a weighing out of the options. And the reason this happens is because being obedient to something or to someone, it usually means that we're going to have to adjust our actions. Or it might mean that we don't get to do the things that we want to do. Or being obedient means that we're going against the grain of what our culture is doing. It's the classic cartoon moment where you've got a little angel that shows up on one shoulder, little devil that shows up on the other one. And this is the moment that Philip the Apostle, who was one of Jesus' disciples, finds himself in. See, in a moment that Jesus told his disciples would come, Philip faces the choice to be obedient to God's leading in spreading the gospel or to let the moment pass. And so, as we look at this story today, the truth that we're chasing down that is just as true for us today as it was for Philip the apostle is this. When we are obedient to God's leading, lives will be changed. And I really want us to hone in on this truth today as we prepare for the year ahead of us. Because whatever resolutions that we've made or are making, none of them can even come close to what God will do when we invite him to lead us and we decide to follow. So I want to pray for us real quick, and then we're going to jump into this story. God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for the, the year ahead of us and what we get to jump into, whether we're excited about it or we're a little apprehensive. God, I just pray that we are able to put you 
at the front of our lives. God, whatever we're coming off of this last year, the celebrations, the heartache, the good times, the bad times, God, I pray that we are able to celebrate what you have done, that we're able to see how you've been in the works along the way. But God, I also pray that we are able to move ahead with our eyes focused on you above everything else. So God, today, I pray that you would give us wisdom. I pray that you would give us guidance. I pray that you would open our ears and our hearts to what you have to say through Scripture. God, we thank you. We give the rest of our time here to you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So the story we're looking at today is found in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. And we're actually going to approach things a little differently than normal today. Because what we're going to do is we're going to walk through this whole story. We're going to break it down along the way, okay? And what we're going to see is that this entire passage of Scripture is super heavy with the Holy Spirit providing Philip opportunities to respond in obedience, And we see that he does respond in obedience, and God does incredible things. But there's also several small details along the way that are easy to pass over that, to me, are super important when it comes to learning how to be obedient to God through Philip's example, because we can learn from what Philip did, and we can copy that and apply that to our lives today, because again, it is still true that when we are obedient to God's leading, lives will be changed. And so let's jump into the story in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So right from the beginning, we see that there are opportunities for obedience to God. So right from the start, the passage starts with God through the Holy Spirit telling Philip to get up and go. And we see that Philip, in response, gets up and goes. Now for a lot of us, This is the hardest part when it comes to being obedient to God or or sharing our faith with somebody else or even just mentioning the name of Jesus to other people. See, taking the first step and and having spiritual conversations with others, it can be scary and it can be intimidating, mainly because we can never be completely sure of what's going to happen. See, even if you've got a good relationship with somebody, even if you think you know how somebody else is going to respond, whenever conversations take a spiritual turn, we can never be positive on what's going to happen. Taking the chance to talk to anybody about Jesus, it it, it can be scary, but it also can be life-changing for us and for others. Now, a little bit about this Philip guy. Philip was one of Jesus' disciples. He is someone who lived for almost three years following Jesus, doing day-to-day life with him, learning from what Jesus did, seeing how he taught and interacted with other people. And so Philip has already declared that Jesus is his Savior and his Lord, which means that Philip not only recognizes that Christ has saved him, but he is also committed that he is going to do what God tells him to do whatever, whenever, wherever. And so in this moment, God tells him to get up and go, so he gets up and goes. And in his obedience, he's going where God has told him to go. He meets this man. And Scripture simply identifies this man as the Ethiopian eunuch. And so we know a few things about this guy. We know he's Ethiopian. We know that he's a eunuch. 
And so far, you're like, yeah, I've pieced that together. Uh, it tells us that this man was a court official for Candace, who is the queen of Ethiopia, and he is in charge of her treasures. So all of this tells us that this is not just an ordinary guy. He is actually a pretty important person. He's got some responsibilities. He's got a position. He's got a title. And now we know what a lot of these descriptions about this man mean, but the one that might trip us up a little bit is the description of him being a eunuch. Now, during this time, someone who is a eunuch, this can mean two things. It can be one of two things. Someone who had this title of eunuch, it could simply be a title for someone who was a treasurer or a trusted servant, someone who's risen up to power within an important household. Or it can mean that this was a man who had been emasculated due to who or where he was serving, specifically if he was serving a woman or women of power. Now, because of what we know about this man, as much as it, it pains me to say it, I believe that this man was a eunuch by the second description. And here's why. Luke, who we believe to be the author of Acts, he tells us that this man is, is reading the writings of the prophet Isaiah. Now, that may not mean a lot to us today, because in our world, that's just we are familiar with that a little bit, and we just look at it as another book of the Bible, and it doesn't really mean a whole lot. But what we have to remember is that whenever we're reading anything from the Bible, we need to look at the context, and we need to look at the culture of the time. We need to understand what this would have meant to someone in that setting, reading what they were reading, what it would mean to them, how they would interpret it. See, even though this story is just one moment in this guy's entire life, it is extremely likely that this man has read all of Isaiah and probably multiple times because of what it would mean to someone in his position in this time and place. There was a reason that he was reading what he was reading, and we'll see that in just a minute. Luke gives us a little bit more information on this guy. It tells us that he was coming from Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is where the Jewish temple was. And Luke tells us that he had gone there so that he could worship. This lets us know that this man already knows who God is, and he has at least started a relationship with him. In fact, he's someone that we would probably give this title of a God-fearer to. But he's not a full convert yet. And the reason we would say that he's not a full convert to Christianity is because of his social status as a eunuch. See, according to Jewish law, eunuchs were not allowed to enter the inner courts of the temple. And so even though this man knew who God was and loved God and was going to worship God and had this relationship with him, he was still denied certain things because of him being a eunuch, which is why I believe he's reading what he is reading it's why I believe this is one of the reasons that he's reading from Isaiah, because when you look at what Isaiah says and what he talks about, and the words that he uses, someone who is in this man's position would absolutely cherish and would put their hope in the words of God spoken through the prophet Isaiah, especially what we see in Isaiah chapter 56, starting in verse 3. It says, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, 
I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Now, again, here is where context is a big key in helping us understand this. So we know that during the Bible times, having children, especially having sons, was a status symbol that men and women desired to have. It's what they were known by. But since eunuchs couldn't have children, they were denied that opportunity. And so for God to say that those who are eunuchs and those who are dedicated to the things of God will be rewarded with something even greater than sons and daughters, well, that is a big deal. Because this meant that even though in the world and in the culture they may have had a different social status, they still had the opportunity to be included in God's family and in God's kingdom. You see, even thousands of years ago, this whole God thing was for everyone. So this man is reading the words of Isaiah in his chariot, and here's where Philip comes back into the picture. Acts chapter 8, verse 29 and 30 says, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him. The Spirit tells Philip, go over and join this man. And here's the first small detail that I want us to pay attention to. Philip ran to this man. Now, in my world, there are only two reasons for running. Fear or excitement. So if you see me running, it's because there is a bear chasing me or there are donuts in the break room. There is no in-between. I know some of you might say, well, what about running for exercise? Nah. That's not a thing in my world. <laughs> now, it tells us specifically that Philip ran to meet this man because that's what God told him to do. When was the last time that you were so excited to be obedient to God that you ran? When was the last time that you were so excited to share God with somebody that you ran to meet them where they were at? Because that's what Philip does. See, Philip doesn't hear God and then just wait where he is, hoping that by chance this guy's chariot may go by his spot. No, it tells him that he runs to meet this man where he is. When was the last time that you did that? Because I got to be honest with you, I've been having a hard time coming up with an answer to that question myself. Because that urgency, it's not always there for me. See, I think for a lot of us, when, when God is, is asking us to do something, especially when it is very clear that God is calling us or leading us or prompting us, we tend to drag our feet a little bit. Or we tend to make excuses about why, why we can't do it, or we put it off saying, well, I, I just want to wait until the circumstance is more favorable, or, or I want to wait until the timing is better. But this has all led us to this place where we are, and I, and I think that the church today has become largely less and less eager to take the risk of going out and sharing Jesus with people. And I've got to believe that it's not because we don't want to, but I think we've become more fearful about what people will think of us, or, or what if I offend somebody, or what if they lash out at me? And I gotta be honest, Philip faced those same possibilities. 
See, during this time, Philip is on the move because Christians in this moment are being arrested and they're being beaten and they're being killed for doing what he is getting ready to do. And so nobody would blame him if he was a little hesitant to be obedient in this moment. Because there's a very real possibility that if he approaches this man that he does not know and starts talking about Jesus, well, he could get into some big trouble or he could get physically hurt or he could get shut down. And Philip knows all of this, but he still runs in his obedience to God. Picking the story back up in verse 30, it says, So Philip ran to him, and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So Philip runs up to this chariot of this man he does not know. He hears this man reading. He recognizes that he's reading the prophet Isaiah, and he asks him, do you understand what you're reading? And the man replies, how can I unless somebody explains it to me? And he invites Philip up into his chariot. And here's the second small detail that I want us to pay attention to. See, in his obedience to God's leading, Philip steps up and he asks a question. See, after being obedient to get up and go from where he was to where God needed him to be, and then being so excited about the chance to obey God that he runs to follow God's leading, Philip now asks a simple, helpful question. He starts off this interaction with this man that he doesn't know by asking a simple question, and this is another thing that we don't typically like to do. We don't like to approach people, especially people that we don't know, and start talking about Jesus. Or start talking about anything that has to do with any kind of religion because that is a touchy subject and we, again, don't know what people will do. What if we ask them a question and then they ask us a question back and I don't know the answer? Or what if I ask somebody a question and they just look at me like I'm a moron? Or what if I go in confident because I know some stuff and, and then I start talking to them and I find out quickly that they know some stuff too and then I find out that I don't know as much as I thought I did and now I'm kind of just scrambling back and forth and I start rambling on and on and on because I am in over my head and we let these fears keep us from interacting with people in spiritual conversations. And so let's imagine for a moment that you're in a conversation with somebody about Jesus or religion or Christianity or church or anything like that, and they ask you a question that you don't know the answer to. What do you do? What do you do when someone asks you a question that you don't know the answer? Because honestly, a lot of the time, the most helpful and beneficial response you can give is, I don't know. I'm not saying that I don't know. I'm telling you that's what you can say. You can say, I don't know. So we've bought into this false idea that we have to have all the answers all the times. And if we don't feel like we have all of the answers to every possible question, then it's better for us just to not even get into the conversation and just to stay quiet. We become afraid of giving the answer of, I don't know, even though that is a perfectly okay and acceptable answer. Because being honest and being real and being authentic with somebody goes a lot farther than trying to bluff your way through the conversation. And honestly, most of the time, people know if you don't know what you're talking about and you're trying to fake your way through it. And so if somebody asks you a question that you don't know the answer to, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look them in the eye and I want you to tell them, I don't know, but I will try to find out. And if you want to take that an extra step, you can even invite them into exploring the answer with you. And man, you might be surprised at the conversations that that can lead to. 
Now, in this case, with the story that we're looking at today, Philip's question is welcomed and it's received. He asks, do you understand what you're reading? This man says, how can I, unless someone explains it to me? And then he invites Philip to join him. And again, Philip's got a choice in front of him. Do I get in the chariot or not? Do I continue this conversation or not? But he knows that God's brought him this far, so he steps up knowing that the chance to share the gospel is there. So as Philip gets into the, into the chariot and continues the conversation, we know that this man is reading from the prophet Isaiah. And so they start talking about that, specifically what Isaiah is talking about in chapter 53, where he's, he's giving this prophecy about what's going to happen to this person who is going to come to be salvation for others. And he never specifically says the name Jesus, but we know that's who he's talking to. But in this moment, this Ethiopian eunuch does not know what is happening. He, he asks this question, is is Isaiah talking about himself? Is he the person who's going to do all of these things for mankind? Or is he talking about someone else? And this is the golden moment. Because these are the perfect verses to share the gospel with someone. And what's even better is that this man wants to know. He is eager. He is asking questions. He is searching and wanting to know more about this person who's going to come and save mankind. It's just like walking in to get a lottery ticket, and they hand you the ticket, and then they hand you the winning numbers. Like, this is the thing. The pump is primed for Philip. All he has to do is seize the moment. But just like you would have to choose to play the winning lottery numbers, Philip still has to choose whether or not he's going to continue being obedient. Story continues in verse 35, it says, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And here's the third small detail that I want us to pay attention to. It says, Philip opened his mouth. Now, we may look at this and go, well, duh. If you're going to talk, you have to open your mouth. But I think there's great importance in Luke, including this detail, stating that Philip opened his mouth. Why? Because it shows us another opportunity where Philip chose to be obedient to what God was doing. You see, Philip didn't have to do this. Philip didn't have to, to say anything. He could have gotten out of the chariot at any time. He could have just sat there in silence, enjoying the free ride, going, hey, yeah, nice chariot. Cool, this is great. So, where are you from? Like, he could have done all this stuff. But he didn't know how long he would be with this man, and he didn't know if the opportunity would pass. And he knew that if he was going to share the gospel with him, he was going to have to open his mouth. And this is another thing that we're pretty timid about doing, which is weird because we tend to open our mouths a lot. I don't know if you guys are aware of this or not, but we as people in general, we're very opinionated. We got a lot of strong opinions about a lot of things. And man, we, we like to make sure that people know our opinions, whether they ask for it or not. Just check out social media, pay attention to the conversations that happen in the workplace or in your office or even in your home and your family. And you will find a few things that people are very opinionated about. Sports teams, gas prices, politics, the direction of the toilet paper roll, people's driving skills or lack thereof, people's clothes or lack thereof, how you should raise your kids, how other people should raise their kids. We have got a lot of opinions about a lot of things. So why is it that when it comes to sharing the love of Jesus with somebody, for a lot of us, it becomes a lot harder to open our mouths? See, when the moment presents itself, we all need to be obedient to open our mouths to share Jesus with other people and let God take care of the outcome.
In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, it says, Now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So to kind of wrap this story up a little bit, what happens is Philip opens his mouth, he explains and shares the gospel, the good news of Jesus with this Ethiopian eunuch. And then they come across some water and the man says, he goes, hey, here's some water right here. Why, why shouldn't I be baptized? One thing here real quick, if you remember, they're on a desert road in a desert area. Deserts are not known for having water. It's kind of their big deal. And so for them to come across water, right as this man is talking about baptism, and to me, that's just another reminder that the Holy Spirit provides what is needed when it's needed. So this man, after hearing the gospel, he gets baptized, and then he takes his newly developed faith back to his home and the people who are there. What's all this have to do with us today? Like, that's kind of a, a cool story and stuff, and it's cool to see how Philip did that and that interaction, but well, what's this have to, have to do with me? How, I don't really get the application to my life in this moment, but think back over everything that we just talked about. See, when the moment presented itself, Philip ran out of his desire to obey God's leading, and then once he did that, he stepped up and he asked the question, do you understand what it is you're reading about God? And then when the moment was there, he explained all this. He opened his mouth to talk about Jesus and shared all of this out of his obedience to God's leading. And when the moment presented itself, he explained the gospel message to this man who believed and was saved. And I've got to believe that, man, this was a defining moment for this Ethiopian man. This changed him. And I've got to believe it changed Philip as well. And who knows how many more people were changed by this when this man returned back to his home country and shared with others his story of what God has done in his life. And so the question is this, how is God calling you to be obedient? How's God calling you? How's God calling me to be obedient? Where has God placed you that you can share Jesus with another person? Who do you interact with that you know needs to hear the good news that Jesus loves them and has done for them what no one else ever has or ever will? Because we go into this new year, again, we, we probably have some goals, we've got some ideas, we've got some plans on how to improve our lives in some way, whether it's getting healthier or it's improving our financial situation or it's working on relationships, whatever it is, here's my challenge for you. Invite God to be a part of whatever it is you are doing. Whatever you're currently doing, whatever new endeavor you're going to try to take on in this next year, invite God to be a part of it now. See, instead of doing what we, we normally kind of tend to do of jumping into something and getting ourselves established and figuring things out and trying to answer some questions, and then maybe we bring God into the equation, instead of doing that, invite God into it now, and God will show up. And that's not my idea. I would tell you if it was. I've got a lot of good ideas, okay? You remember the whole trampoline thing? Good ideas. This is not my idea. This is actually a promise that we have in Scripture. In James chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. 
Now, this is one of those places in my Bible where I have written a giant P and I have circled it because this is a promise that we have from God. In case you didn't make the connection, P stands for promise, okay? I love when God makes promises to us. I love that because I know that God always comes through on what he says he'll do. See, I think a, a lot of the things that we struggle with or a lot of the things that, that we fail at, the, the things that don't turn out the way that we hope they would or the way we want them to, I think it's because we forget to include God in the process. And I don't think it's intentional, but sometimes it is. So we talk about this a lot here at Vail. We talk about how a lot of the time when, when people are hesitant to come to church or, or hesitant to come back to church after being away for a while, when, when we've got people that are, are maybe holding off on checking out this whole faith thing, it's because we've bought into the lie that we've got to be in a certain condition or we've got to be at a certain level first. We, we believe that we've got to fix our mess or we've got to make certain changes or have certain answers before we can even come in the doors of a church, much less approach a relationship with Jesus. And that is a lie from the pits of hell. Man, when it comes to starting a relationship with Jesus, all Jesus wants is you. He wants you just as you are. That means that Jesus wants to meet you in your mess. He, he wants to be with you in your trials. He wants to celebrate in your successes. He just wants you right here, right now. And when we take that step of obedience and trusting that he is who he says he is, when we take that step of obedience and believing that he meets us where we are at, that when we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. When we do that, that is when life change happens. And the more that we allow God to work in our lives, the more that we are obedient and following where God is leading us and what he is calling us to do, the more God will use us to do that same thing in other people. See, the same God that, that called Philip the apostle to do these things and gave him these opportunities to trust and be obedient and see what God would do in and through him is the same God that calls you and me today to be obedient and trust in who he is. And God wants to use you in your place of work. God wants to use you at the gym. God wants to use you in your community. He wants to use you in, in your families. He wants to use you in your neighborhoods, in your schools, wherever you are already doing life with other people. God wants to use you. Will you be obedient in following where God leads you? Because again, what we see in all of this is that when we are obedient to God's leading, lives will be changed. It starts with us choosing to be obedient to God, calling us to follow him. And it only spreads from there. And so let's start this new year focusing on who God is and what God is going to do. Let's ask God to show us where we have chances to be obedient. Let's get, ask God to lead us to where he needs us to be so that he can use us for his purposes. Most importantly, let's ask God to give us the boldness to be obedient to him in all circumstances, all day, every day. And we're going to pray for those things in just a moment. But first, maybe you're here in the room or you're here with us online. And you feel God leading you to take that first step of obedience and believing that he is who he says he is, and he has done what he says he has done for you. 
Maybe you're in that spot where you've been wrestling with whether or not you can even enter into a relationship with Jesus because of the state of your life at the moment. Maybe you've been wrestling with whether or not you're ready to start that relationship with Jesus. Today can be the day that you take that step of obedience. And so with every head bowed and with every eye closed, is there anything that is holding you back from entering into that relationship? Is there anything that you feel you've got to fix first before God can even be near you? Because if there's anything that you've got in your mind or in your heart or anything that you think, believe, or feel that you've got to take care of before God can enter into a relationship with you, this is the moment I want you to get rid of that out of your mind. Because God tells us, I love you, I am with you, and if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. There's no qualifications to that. There's no stipulations of if you do this, this, and this, then I will draw near to you. If you get these things figured out first, then I can work in you and through you. Then I can do these things in your life. God just says, no, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. And that is a promise that we have from him. And so today, if there is anything that God is putting in your heart, if there's any leading that you feel, if there's any of that push that you feel God giving you, hey, today is the day to take that step in obedience. We believe that scripture teaches us that when we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, that it is in that moment that you are saved. And so God, right now, I wanna thank you for those who are believing and giving their lives to you right now, for those who are confessing that I need God in my life. God, I wanna pray for those who have been wrestling with whether or not they are in the right condition to be in a relationship with you. God, I pray that you would remove the lies of Satan from them, that you would give them the truth, that you are God regardless of what is going on in our lives, and that no matter what shape we are in, you love us and you want to be with us. God, I pray that you would help us to overcome the temptations to not be obedient, that you would help us to stand bold in the face of this world today, knowing that you will use us to do mighty things if we will just be obedient to the things you call us to do. God, I know that we always look for the big moments. We look for the big opportunities that are gonna have great impact. But God, I pray that you would help us to be ready for those, but also be ready for the small moments where we can be obedient where we can do the little things that no one else may even see, but knowing that you work in mighty ways. God, I pray that you would help us to have eyes to look for those who you put us in contact with. God, we thank you so much. I thank you for the promise that when we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. And God, I pray that we would have the courage to take you up on your word. God, in this year ahead of us, I pray that you would give us success in the goals that we are setting for our lives here on earth. But God, I pray that you would also help us to keep our eyes focused on you above everything else and trust that when we put you in the process, when we obey you, when we trust you to do what only you can do, God, you will show us incredible things that help move the kingdom forward. So God, we thank you so much for being a God that loves us, God, we pray that you would go with us and that you would go before us in the days ahead. God, we thank you for who you are. It is in your name that we trust. It's in your name that we hope. It is in your name that we pray these things. Amen. We hope this message challenged you, encouraged you, and most of all, brought you closer to a loving God who wants nothing but the best for you. 
If you have any questions about taking next steps in your faith journey, simply text NEXT to 309-777-0677. Everyone has a next step, and here at Vail, we would love to walk alongside you. If this message was impactful to you, we encourage you to share it. To stay connected to everything Vail Church, feel free to subscribe. Visit our website at vail.church and follow our socials on Instagram and Facebook. Lastly, for all of those who call Vail Church home, let's remember, worship faithfully, connect intentionally, give generously, and serve sacrificially. We'll see you next week.